0: You are listening to the Hope Fellowship Church podcast. To find more information about our church and ministries, check out our website at hopeandanderson.com. Now,
1: this week's teaching. Good morning, Hope family. My name is Nicole Davidson, and I've been attending Hope for four years now. Would you stand with me for today's reading? Our passage today is Judges 5, 1 through 11. Then sang Deborah and Barak, the son of Abinoam, on that day. That the leaders took the lead in Israel, that the people offered themselves willingly. Bless the Lord. Hear, O kings, give ear, O princes, to the Lord I will sing. I will make melody to the Lord, the God of Israel. Lord, when you went out from Seir, when you marched from the region of Edom, the earth trembled and the heavens dropped. Yes, the clouds dropped water. The mountains quaked before the Lord, even Sinai before the Lord, the God of Israel. In the days of Shamgar, son of Anath, in the days of Jael, The highways were abandoned and travelers kept to the byways. The villagers ceased in Israel. They ceased to be until I arose. I, Deborah, arose as a mother in Israel. When new gods were chosen, then war was in the gates. Was shield or spear to be seen among 40,000 in Israel? My heart goes out to the commanders of Israel who offered themselves willingly among the people. Bless the Lord. Tell of it, you who ride on white donkeys, you who sit on rich carpets, and you who walk by the way. To the sound of musicians at the watering places, there they repeat the righteous triumphs of the Lord. The righteous triumphs of his villagers in Israel. Then down to the gates marched the people of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord.
0: You may be seated. Good morning. Uh, Try to give. Good morning. Uh, Wow, thank you. I'm excited to be here this morning and to be able to teach from the book of Judges with you. Thank you, Nathan, for two great weeks of teaching through the book of Judges. It was absolutely amazing. And so today we continue with chapter five. And today it is Deborah and Barak's song. And so I say to you, first of all, Deborah and Barak are not a couple. So don't don't think that, right? If you look back in chapter four, that we find that Deborah is actually married to someone else not Barak. And so they're not a couple. But I thought about this a lot as we're going to talk about this song together for a few moments that, um, you know, we we have a favorite song. Perhaps you have a song that's inspiring to you, you know, something that would energize you or or something that causes you to celebrate. I uh, text Reba this week and I said, hey, you know, what is our song? Well, that's probably not a good thing. I should know that, right? So I said, what is our song? Well, we text back and forth for a little while. And then she texted me and said, hey, we don't have one. I thought, well, that's, you know, I guess that's okay after 40, um, almost 45 years, and it's, it's okay to not have one, I suppose, but we, we, we don't have one, and so when I looked through this song, I was so moved because it's so powerful talking about the battle that we find Deborah and Beric involved in along with uh, some other characters uh, that, we, that we're going to, to kind of study together this morning, but... But I want to say that uh, when you look at this song, you realize that it fits in so well with so many other songs that we find out through Scripture that of Miriam's song to the book of Exodus and and that of David's song of his victory over Goliath in the book of 1 Samuel, of our song of salvation that we will sing from Revelation chapter 5 and verse 9. So today, this is Deborah and Barak's song as we talk about it together. You know, I have a granddaughter. Her name is Sayla Gray. She is three years old, and um, she is just something, you know. And so we were t- uh, at her home recently, and Reba and I were there, and we were babysitting. I guess you might call her and her brother um, Garrett. And so we, Sayla is playing in the floor with us. And so they have near where she plays an Alexa. You know what an Alexa is, right? It's the thing that you tell to turn your lights on, turn your lights off. It asks you. You ask them all kinds of questions, and it seems you know, it's an unending uh, uh, source of answers for all the questions of life. And you say, you usually say Alexa, and then you say something. But you can also say Alexa, play, right? And it plays all kinds of music. And so our three-year-old granddaughter is playing on the floor, and all of a sudden she stands up, puts her hands on her hips. She looks at Alexa and she said the box, and she says, Alexa, play. Who let the dogs out, you know, That's what she said. And I thought, I guess that's Selah's song. Now, I don't know why Selah, that's her song. I have to talk to Brad and Marcy, to her parents, to understand why that would be her song. I trust your song has more meaning than who let the dogs out, right? But uh, anyway, this is a song that was written by Deborah and Barak for the nation of Israel. I'll give you a little background. Ehud, the judge, has died. Israel finds themselves in captivity and oppression again for 20 long years with the Canaanites. Just for you to make a mental note to bring us back together for what Judges is all about. Judges is a 340 year classroom is what it is. It's It's a learning environment for Israel to trust God more than they trust humanity. So when Israel finds themselves in captivity or oppression, then God would raise up a judge for that moment in Israel's life, then at some point that judge will die or fade back into obscurity. And that's what we find here. And so Israel, again, has been in captivity or oppression for 20 years. So there are three main characters of this song. Nathan did an amazing job last week kind of fleshing out all these characters of this story. I want to talk about these three so you'll have an understanding of the song this morning. First, there is Deborah. She is a prophetess. She is a poetess as well as she has written these words for you and I. She prophesied the death of the commander of the army of Israel, which is um, Sisera, but, and how he is going to die. Sisera is going to die not at the hand of battle, but he's going to die actually in the hands of a woman by the name of Jael in the book of Judges chapter 4 and verse 9. You can read about that. She is the leader of Israel, a powerful leader. God has called her as he's called other judges. We know that from Judges chapter 2 and verse 16. So he raises them up. What we see through her life is a sovereign work of God for sure. And how God raises her up. She submits herself as the deliverer, the unlikely hero of Israel. Then there is Barak. He is the commander of the army of Israel, but he is a reluctant commander. When Deborah comes to him and says, I want you to go to battle against the Canaanites, he is reluctant to do that without her being present with him. So he says, conditionally, I'll go, but you have to be with me, is, is what he says. And, and so we realize that he is a great person of faith, though, even though he is reluctant. I think that's great that the Bible puts in that human element for you and I, isn't it? And, and so we find that he's such a great person of faith, that he is mentioned also in the book of Hebrews as, as well. But I understand why he's reluctant. Because he's called by Deborah, as God called her, to go against an army of 900 chariots of iron. And when we read this, this song in just a moment, what we're going to realize is that, by and large, Israel has been disarmed by their oppressors. So God sends this mighty rainstorm in the middle of the battle in the desert and he renders the chariots absolutely ineffective the river kashan rises up and sweeps them away and we see this sovereign hand of god as people submit themselves to him then there's jael the wife of hebar the the canite and and i and i when i read this what i realized is that jael she's not an israelite but we see how god powerfully uses her in this story as well that the real The realization is that Jael and and Heber, they are like modern day preppers. They leave the community. They go out into the middle of the desert with their motor home, right? And they camp out to try to get away from everyone. But through God's sovereign work, God has placed them in the exact place they need to be because in a in some time, that this place where they are is going to be this great battlefield between Canaan and Israel. And so God is working all along. And so when God sends this great rain in the middle of the desert, that Sisera's chariot, who is the commander of that of the Canaanite army, becomes stuck in mud. He runs from the battle. He finds himself knocking on the door of the motor home of the Canaanites, and he is welcomed in by Jael. Uh, and who feeds him and then beats him to death with a frying pan isn 't that great? I love the old testament, don't you? It is really great it is i 'm not saying that should be your way of reaching out to people i 'm not saying that at all, but i 'm saying this is exactly what happens. So when I read this, what I realize it 's something that we should take note of. in fact, david in psalm eighty three and nine this is what he says. He says, do it unto them as you did to Midian, as to Sisera, and Jabin at the river Kishon. So it's something that even David mentions in the book of Psalms. So what we're meant, we're meant to connect the dots. We're meant to put all this together, all these characters, all this context to discover this hidden treasure in all of this that there's a common thread that's woven through all of these chapters, chapter 4 and chapter 5, and especially this powerful song, that we see the sovereign hand of God at work in the lives of people who will completely submit themselves to him. That is a point that you have to really get before we move on, that you see that the sovereign hand of God, and I believe it's in your notes this morning, that the sovereign hand of God, we see that working In the lives of these people, the sovereign hand of God at work in the lives of people who will completely submit themselves to him. Not perfect. No, not in any way, because this is humanity, but yet submitted to God. So we embrace this doctrine. We say it so many times to you on our Sunday morning teachings. This doctrine of God's sovereignty, man's responsibility. We embrace the doctrine of God's sovereignty and man's responsibility. So we're going to flesh that out together this morning in this teaching. So it's Judges chapter 5 verse 1. Then sang Deborah and that of Barak, the son of Abinam, on that day, that the leaders took the lead in Israel, that the people offered themselves willingly, bless the Lord. So here's the first of two thoughts this morning. When flawed people offer themselves willingly, God intervenes. I think we need to to say that again, that when flawed people offer themselves willingly, God intervenes. Leaders lead. Everyone submits willingly. There is this sovereignty of God that we see in this hand of God working in the lives of Israel and people willing to submit themselves. There's two parts of this great victory. If we just focus on God sending a rain who marched down the chariots so that Israel can defeat the army of Canaan, then we've missed just part of it. Because there's two parts of it. There's this supernatural work of God that God calls Deborah, but she submits to God. That Deborah, as Israel's leader, calls that of Barak. Barak and, and, and he submits himself conditionally, conditionally. But Barak conditionally submits himself, saying to Deborah, you got to go with me, but I'm not going without you then God GPSs Jael where she needs to be and where it was prophesied by that of Deborah that simply says um, that the leader of the army of Canaan would die by the hands of a woman and not in battle. So God puts all of this together, but there's two parts to all of this, and it's more than just that of the sovereignty of God, but we also see that of the submission of people to God. The supernatural work of God and the role of humanity in accomplishing the will of God for his glory and our joy. So let me talk about this for a moment. It's verse two, that the leaders took the lead in Israel and the people offered themselves willingly. Bless the Lord, the writer says. Verse nine, my heart goes out to the commanders of Israel who offer themselves willingly willingly. Among the people, bless the Lord. That this this story goes both ways, and, and I it's written for you and I to see that this morning. It's important to notice when the composers write this great song about how they reinforce not just the sovereignty of God and the miraculous work of God in this battle, but they also focus on man's responsibility. In fact, when Barak and Deborah write this song. They they enclose and include a roll call of all the tribes of Israel and how they respond. Let me read those things to you. It's verse thirteen. Then down march the remnant of the noble, the people of the Lord march down for me against the mighty from Ephraim. Their root they march down into the valley, following you, Benjamin with your kinsmen from. Um, Markic which is really Manasseh is what it is marched down the commanders and from Zebulun those who bear the lieutenant staff or the commander's staff the princes of Issachar came with Deborah and Issachar faithful to Barak into the valley they rushed at his heels among the clans of Reuben there were great searches of heart why did you sit Still among the sheepfolds to hear the whistling for the flocks. Among the clans of Reuben, there were great searchings of heart. Gilead stayed beyond the Jordan, and Dan, why did he stay with the ships? Asher sat still at the coast of the sea, staying by his landing. Zebulun is a people who risk their lives. To the death, Nephtali too on the heights of the field. And when I look at this, I realize it lists all those that responded, doesn't it? It talks about Issachar and Zebulun and Reuben, and but then all of a sudden it gives the other side of the story of Gilead, who remained in Jordan, of Dan, who stayed with his ships, who Asher, who stayed at the coast. The question doesn't lie with God's sovereignty here. We see God do powerful things through Barak and Deborah and Jael. We see God do those things. But we also see that there are certain parts of Israel that doesn't step up to their responsibility. So the question doesn't lie with the sovereignty of God. No, but in Israel's responsibility. So here's my thought, a question for you this morning. Are we hanging back by the ships when we should be out in the fight? Are we hanging back by the ships when we should be out of the fight? Because let me explain this to you today. That that you know God and yes, that's Israel's story for sure. And you know what God has done in the past. We realize that they continually rehearse that throughout the book of Judges. But what we think is happening here is they become complacent. They lack intention in their spiritual walk. And we can find ourselves there as well as the body of Christ. That we lack intention in our spiritual walk with God. There, you know, we find ourselves here this morning and saying to ourselves at times, well, this is enough. I've kind of done my duty for God. I'm here. So everything is good between the Lord and I, because I came to church and that's just enough. But I think at times we become satisfied at the expense of the process of sanctification in our life. We become satisfied at the expense of the process of sanctification, our growth with God. Here's God that speaks through Deborah and Deborah's call to Israel is to show up. And I don't want to be so cliche-ish in what I'm about to say, but, but it's true, I think, that Israel's call is to show up and God shows out. That's exactly what happens, that they show up and God shows out. There's a powerful spiritual principle here that some of you have trusted God as a believer. But you're not trusting God in other spiritual disciplines of your life, your prayer life, your study life in the scriptures, your life as being a disciple, as being disciples and discipling others, that that you have not trusted God in those areas. You're not serving like God has called you to do. You're not living a life of generosity by giving and tithing to God. You're not doing that. So not only is this a strong song of celebration. No, it is also it calls us out on our spiritual inactivity it calls us out on our spiritual inactivity yeah we want to identify with God's people that's exactly what they want to do the tribe of Reuben and, and Gilead and Dan but they weren't willing to offer themselves for battle they want to share in the victory but they don't want to get out in the middle of the battle for God can you hear what God is saying to us this morning open your spiritual ears to hear what the Lord is saying Let me show you something from Paul's writings in the book of Ephesians, in the New Testament Ephesians, chapter 6, verse 12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. That this is a battle cry is what this is. It's a call for activity is what it is. That our, that we offer ourselves willingly. We stop hanging back with the sheep and the ships is what God is calling us to. I think we see this so vividly in this song this morning. This is a battle where we see God's hand, but that's not what, that's not all that we see. We also see people that are willingly offering themselves to God. You say, but Mark, what does that mean? Does that mean that God needs us? And the answer to that is no. It's not at all. Is there a certain reason why God works with and through us? Yes, there is. Absolutely. You're asking all the right questions. And I am so glad because I get to tell you it is so that you will grow in your love and your relationship with him so that you become more like him. Why? Why is that so important to God? Because we best reveal him when we are most like Him. It's the purpose that God chose Israel. Have you ever wondered why God picked Israel? so that he would have a nation that would be surrounded by those that were idol worshipers. so that God would reveal excuse me, that God would reveal himself through that of Israel. That's exactly why he chose Israel. So does God need us in this battle? No, God does not need us. But God did choose to work through us. Why? So that he can make us more like him because we best reveal him when we are most like him. So our greatest sin many times is not what we do. It's not that at all. But not doing anything is the greatest sin of our lives. But not doing anything. Wow. Man, I, I, I just. I had to lay that over my own life this week. And I said, God, I want to take inventory of my life. Because it's, as believers, you know, I think we get so enamored with this thought of about it's always about what we do and we fail to look at what we are not doing for God, is perhaps the greatest sin of our lives. Let me show you something from the book of Genesis. You know I love the book of Genesis. So let me read from Genesis chapter 3, 1 verse, verse 6. So when the woman, which was Eve, saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, But look at the next words. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her. She gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. And and I thought about this. Adam was with her. It wasn't like he was somewhere else. And she ate the fruit and then found him and said, come here. You got to see what I found. And you got to taste this as well. He is with her. What is Adam's greatest sin other than that of the sin of rebellion? His greatest sin was, not, was doing nothing. That was it. It was doing nothing. Understand, this is not about perfection in your life in this area, but this is about process and progress for you. Yes, this is not saying that you're a bad person at all. That's not what I'm here to do this morning. But at times, I think we hide behind all of this as Christians. You say, man, I'm not out just straight up sinning and whatever that means, you can fill in the blank with that, right? That I'm, I'm, being, I'm being faithful to my spouse and I'm, I'm working and providing, I'm attending church and I give at times and I'm not out just having this random sex with anybody that, that, that I find in life and I'm not attending rated R movies, right? You know, I'm not doing that. So, so you know, what, what is it? What's going on? but you're hanging back by the ships with the sheep. This is the message. This is the challenge that you should be in the middle of the battle, laying your life down in its totality for Christ. You can't abdicate your place in the battle. That that's just doesn't work. I know these are strong words, but I want to tell you, they get stronger for you and I. They really do. Because I came to verse 23. And man. I, I wrote in my journal this week. These are some really strong words. In verse 23. Because here's what it says. Curse Moros. He says curse Moros. Says the angel of the Lord. Curse its inhabitants. Fairly. Because they did not come to the help of the Lord. To To the help of the Lord against the mighty. And and I read this and I thought, wow. This this text does not indicate that they're doing anything bad. It doesn't. It's not like they're they're staying back and they're getting drunk and they're teepeeing all the other people's tents, right? While they're going to battle. They're, They're not doing those kinds of things. No. It's that they did nothing. That was their sin. That they did nothing. It's like coming here on a Sunday morning. And saying that this is, the, the, this is an end within itself. And this is what it means to, for me to be a Christian or to be religious. is just doing this. That there's some great worship and some fair preaching. And so, a little bit of transformation in my life. And here's what this scripture says. God curses that kind of living. Wow. God curses that kind of living. This would be a great time for you to turn to your neighbor and say, "God curses that kind of living in your life i 'm not going to do that, right? No, yes, because you may be going to lunch with him or you may need to ride home right, and now you 're going to be walking uh, but but no, this is what God does. He curses that kind of lifestyle is exactly what it says to us. Yes, because in your spiritual life there 's no neutrality. Realize that if your spiritual life was a car. With a transmission. Then it would have drive for forward. It had R for reverse. And that would be it. There would be no end for neutral. You're either progressing in your spiritual life. Or you're digressing in that relationship with God. Understand that. You're either moving forward. Or you're moving backward. Your willingness. Imperfectly as it is. Imperfect as mine is as well. Submitting to God your life. Or you're hanging back with the sheep and the ships. And one is a blessing. The scripture says. And the other a curse. Wow. Now you wish you had slept in, right? Yes, yes, absolutely. Man, I thought this being Deborah and Barak's song, that, you know, this was just going to be this really smooth, melodic kind of morning, and that's the way it was going to work out. But what I love about the song. Is that not only does it recognize the sovereignty of God. The responsibility of man. But it also addresses what happens when we don't step up to the responsibility that we have. And we do nothing. It addresses that. I think that's. That's something that we have. We all of us have to ask ourselves. About our lives. That we see that God curses inactivity. So you, are you active this morning. With your time with God. Are you active this morning. With your talent with God. Are you active this morning. With your treasure with God. Yes. Because I think. Sometimes as Christians. We think, okay, you know, I, I'm, I'm okay. I'm, I'm all right because I'm not out committing a felony or something, right? So I'm okay. I feel pretty good about myself, right? Can I tell you, wickedness comes in many different forms, two of them specifically, what we do and what we fail to do. Mark, could you say something nice for a moment? Yeah, I will. Let me give you some words from Jesus for a moment, right? Matthew chapter four, verse 19. And he said to them, to his disciples, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Well, the following there, what I realize, it's more than just a geographical relocation is what it is. There's something deeper here that Jesus is saying to us. And in his love for them to take them to a place that only will they will find ultimate fulfillment in their life. He's saying this. This is about you willfully submitting your full life to me is what it is. And I look at this song and I realize that Deborah and Barak before. They talk about the battle and the, and the sovereign things that God does. They begin to recount the things that God did in Sinai, the wilderness. They talk about Shamgar. They talk about the, God, the faithfulness of God. They recount all of those kinds of things. Because what they're saying to you and I is this. That I submit my heart before my hands and my feet. That something has to take place within my own heart before I submit my hands and feet to God. Because if not... Then I find myself doing things for God, trying to earn something that God has already freely given me. And that is his love, and it's his acceptance, and his grace, and his mercy that is given to me freely. But if my heart is not changed, but my hands and my feet, I'm telling them to do things for God, then what I re- I'm going to begin to try to earn things so that God will love me and accept me more and in a greater way. And maybe some of you are there this morning. Well, I'm doing this for God. I'm doing that for God. You know, I can make you a list of things that I'm doing for God. But what about your heart? Has there been a change there within you? Because if not, then you're doing these things to try to earn something that's already been freely given to you by God and his grace and his mercy and his great love for you this morning. So, God's sovereignty, my responsibility. So, verse 3 says, and I think it bears to read this again to you this powerful song as it would have been sung and read in Israel so many times in public settings like we are in this morning. Verse 3 says, Hear, O Israel. Give ear, O princes, to the Lord, I will sing. I will make melody to the Lord, the God of Israel. Lord, when you went out of Seir, when you marched from the region of Edom, the earth trembled and the heavens dropped. Yes, the clouds dropped water. The mountains quaked before the Lord from even Sinai before the Lord, the God of Israel. In the days of Shamgar, the son of Anan, in the days of Jael, The highways were abandoned. The travelers kept to the byways and the villagers ceased in Israel. He's talking about the total digression of the social structure of Egypt under the oppressors. They ceased to be until I arose. I, Deborah, arose as a mother in Israel. When you gods were chosen, then war was in the gates. Look at these words. Was shield or spear to be seen among 40,000 in Israel? My heart goes out to the commanders of Israel who offered themselves willingly among the people. Bless the Lord. And we realize that verse 9 is there because they are facing a great enemy, but they have been, for all intents and purposes, disarmed. Tell of it, you who ride on white donkeys, those of great influence, who you who sit on rich carpets and you who walk by the way to the sound of musicians at the watering place. There they repeat the righteous triumphs of the Lord, the righteous triumphs of his villagers in Israel. Then down to the gates, march the people of Israel. Last thought this morning. We willingly offer ourselves to God based on his faithfulness. And not our own. That's so freeing, isn't it? Because if we just left that first part for you. You would say, Mark, you know, I can't do this. This is not possible for me. And this is absolutely true. That's a a true statement. But it's so freeing to know that this is not just something that I'm called to do of my own will or my own grit. It's not that at all. That's through his great grace and faithfulness. Deborah takes this moment and Barak takes this moment to take us back to these this place in the wilderness talks about Shamgar to remind us this is all based upon God's faithfulness and and not ours that God brings down the most powerful oppressors with the weakest things when they are placed within God's hands so God calls Deborah he uses Barak the reluctant leader Barak forms a, an army of unarmed or minimally armed soldiers God finishes the job with a housewife named Jael who is not an Israelite, living in a camper in the middle of the desert with a lethal frying pan. And the result of all of that is 40 years of rest for Israel from their oppressor. If anything that you take from this morning To embrace this doctrinal truth of God's sovereignty, man's responsibility, that you have and I have a responsibility. But that responsibility is not fueled just by my own grit and my own human power, but it is fueled by the understanding of God's unmerited faithfulness to us. Because God does his greatest work, not through our ability, but through our availability. There's a powerful spiritual analogy here before I read verse 24. This powerful spiritual analogy, and I thought about this as I read this part of the song that we just read together. That it's not that just Satan... Wants to oppress us. But yet his ultimate plan is to disarm us. Is what it is. That not only did he oppress. Israel. But he disarmed Israel through the Canaanites. He disarms us by you and I forgetting. Ephesians chapter 6. About taking up the full armor of God. That we lay down our availability. And we become satisfied. With just places like this this morning. And I want to say to you. I'm glad you're here. Don't wake up next Sunday morning and say. Well Mark said I shouldn't be satisfied with that place. So I'm not going back there anymore. That's not the point right. No. That's not that you're missing it. That this is not an end within itself. So verse 24. And. And I think this brings all of this together for you and I this morning in this great song. Most blessed of women be the wife of Heber, the Canite, of tent-dwelling women, most blessed. He, talking about Sisera, the captain of the Canaanite army. He, Sisera, asked for water and she gave him milk. He comes knocking on her door. After he has left his chariot stuck in the mud, he asked her for milk, or she gave him milk when he asked for water. She brought him curds in a noble's bowl. So I thought, what are curds? They're co- it's cottage cheese. If the fr- if the tent peg didn't kill him, the cottage cheese sure would. That's for sure. Especially if he was lactose intolerant, right? Yes. He's going to be in trouble. She served him curdled milk. Mmm, wonderful. I just can't wait to go home and get some myself, right? Yes. Then she sent her hand to the tent peg and her right hand to the workman's mallet. I love this. She just didn't stab him with it. She drove it in with a hammer is what she did, right? And she struck Sisera and she crushed his head. She shattered and pierced his temple. Between, oh, I love this part. Between her feet, he sank, but you just can't leave it there. He fell, he lies still. Between her feet, he sank. He fell where he sank, there he fell. Don't you love it? Isn't that great? I just love it. There's a point to be made there for sure. And then he's dead.
1: Yeah. hmm
0: Let me talk about that for just a moment because it is important. Most blessed of women be Jael. Nathan touched on this last week. It reminds us of Mary, the mother of Christ. And if you read any commentator, they will draw that analogy as well. But there are some stark differences here. But when I thought about this, the angel of the Lord comes to Mary and says, blessed are you among women. A virgin who is called to give birth to a a son and that son being the savior of the world, but she's a virgin. And she has no ability to accomplish this. All she has is availability. So Mary prays this prayer that perhaps we know the words to it. Be it unto me according to your word. Be it unto me according to your word. Paraphrasing it, this is what it says to you and I today. God, I'll do what you say and I'll trust you for the results. God, I'll do what you say and God, I'll trust you for the results. Please say. But let me build this out for you before we go this morning. Verse 28, I couldn't leave you hanging. You have to hear the rest of the song. Out of the window, she peered the mother of Sisera, wailed through the lattice why is his chariot so long in coming why tarry the hoofbeats of his chariots her wisest princesses answered indeed she answers herself have they not found and divided the spoils the next statement is perhaps one of the most oddest statements you'll find throughout the entire bible a womb or two for every man it's weird, isn't it? Would you like to know what that means? Somebody's say, no, I don't know what I don't want to know what that means, right? Well, I'm gonna tell you in a moment. I'm gonna say it again. A womb or two for every man, spoil of dyed materials for Sisera, spoil of dyed materials embroidered, two pieces of dyed work embroidered for the neck as spoil. So may all your enemies perish, O Lord but your friends be like the sun as he rises in his might. You see, what this verse is, these verses, is justice. This is a good dose of Old Testament justice is what this is. What it does it removes the excuse that you and I have so many times in our life when we say to God, when God speaks to us or calls us away from the sheep and the ship into the battle, that we say to God, you know, what, 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 I, what I do, God, really isn't not gonna change a lot, Lord. It's not gonna change a lot because the world is so evil and the world is so broken. What I do will not change a thing, God. So what does it matter if I do something or I don't do anything? Because it's really not going to make a change in the world. And this removes that excuse from us. Because Sisera gets his just punishment at the hand of the gender that he abused the greatest. Because you see, Sisera's calling card and that of his army was to invade and to rape all women and then to take them back as sex slaves back to their country. It is thought by many theologians that before Jael kills him, that most likely Sisera raped her as well. Do you feel the justice in this? The song is written for you to feel it, to not just hear the words, to remove the excuse from our lives that the world is so evil, so it doesn't really matter what I do because it's never going to change anything, to remind us that God is the great judge. And he will return and he will make all things right and he will judge all things. Understand that. That God will ultimately judge this world. My place is to rest in that and willfully submit myself to him. It's not my responsibility to try to make everything right in this world, that is God's place. My place is to willfully submit myself to him holding nothing back because God has everything else covered even down to the very last tent peg everything these are tough words they speak to our heart this morning. Because how many times have we made that excuse to God? When God calls us, we say, God, it's really not going to make any difference what I do. So I'm just going to stay back here with the sheep and the ships. And I'm just going to wait till you return. It's not my place to try to fix everything because God has that under control. So I go back to this thought, this statement that we make to God, God, I'll do what you say and I'll trust you for the results. That's it. So can I pray with you for a moment this morning? If you take a posture of prayer by either bowing your heads or closing your eyes or just sitting there, those of you that are joining us online, if you would pray with us this morning as well. So Father, we, we desire to hear your voice. To know you in a way that we have never known you before. To a greater height, a deeper place, a more weighty relationship. But God, we have to first answer the question of our life that are we back with the ships and the sheep? Or God, are we stepping in the middle of the battle? Are we trusting in ourselves and our own ability to do things for you? Or are we leaning into a heart transformation where we trust you, God, and your goodness for with us today, Holy Spirit. We invite you into our mind and our hearts this morning to show us those areas of our lives that we have yet to commit to you, to reveal those things in our life that we are holding on to, to reveal the places of our life where we find ourselves with the sheep and with the ships and not with the battle. And God, we find ourselves struggling with fulfillment, struggling with joy in our life. And what we realize is that there is really no joy or fulfillment in this life that lasts. Hanging with the sheep and the ships. So God, challenge us to say, God, I hear what you're saying to me. And God, I may not have the ability, but Lord, I am available. I am available, Father and I will trust you for the results of that. So Lord, I submit myself to you. God, you have removed the excuse for my life today that I can't make a difference, that, that my availability cannot change something in this world. You've removed that excuse. Because my place is not to fix everything. Because you will do that. But my place is to submit willfully to you. So Lord, speak to us today. Thank you, Father. Thank you for that, Lord. Thank you for your presence and your power in our life this morning.
1: Thank you for joining us for this week's teaching. We hope you have a great week.